Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode, another EGOs and MRCI podcast. My name is Rochelle Kernan and we have Autumn Hagsma as our co-host. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Joel Sminchek and he is a research scientist at Battelle. Hi Joel, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So to get started, can you please share our audience something about your career path, your uh, degrees that you have, any goals or passions that you have, and ultimately, could you tell us how you ended up working in CCUS? I, I grew up in Ohio, and I kind of like to play in the mud and the water and stuff, so... <laughs> Maybe that's why my career path went to geology. I uh, I went to University of Dayton for my undergrad here in Ohio, and initially I wanted to take engineering courses, but then I looked at the course load and I decided maybe there'd be a different focus for me, and so I started taking geology classes there, and um, did a lot of work on glacial geology um, here in Ohio, and then. I uh, went to grad school at Ohio State University here in Columbus and uh, focused on hydrogeology. Sure. And I was an intern here at Patel. And I started, you know, working on groundwater stuff. And then eventually I got hired on full time. And, uh, you know, in the late 90s, we, we did a lot of kind of fundamental research on. CO2 storage mm -hmm. when people were still kind of feeling out the feasibility to see if it was a realistic option for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And um, so we did, you know, we did mapping of the rock formations and we did tests on, you know, rock core where we'd saturate them with CO2 at real high pressures. Yeah. Um, and uh, see what happened. And then we eventually moved on to doing sort of small-scale pilot-scale tests um, at power plants. Um, we did some tests, you know, in, in Ohio and in Kentucky and Michigan. And then we kind of, you know, over the past, I'd say, 10, 15 years, we've kind of scaled things up to more industrial-scale CO2 storage tests where we um, have injected, you know, over a million tons into some of these rock formations and kind of monitor the process and make sure it's safe. And CO2 is going to stay down there, um, be retained in these reservoirs. So that's kind of um, where we're at right now. I work on a couple of different projects, um, you know, looking at monitoring CO2 and also um, kind of designing CO2 storage systems for some of these projects that people are proposing. Um, so we're going from, you know, the scale of thousands of tons per year to to millions of tons per year so it's kind of a, a, a kind of a big leap but mm -hmm. so we're scaling things up yeah. trying to make a difference yeah. reduce greenhouse gas so would you say that you were a part of like the first wave of researchers in the 90s to take this on is that kind of the historic timeline for it i i was more i would say i was kind of a second wave okay i think the first wave was a lot of work that was done in europe and then, um, 
after that first wave, I said as part of the second wave where things kind of expanded into the U.S. So some of your most recent re research has been focused on life cycle analysis. Can you tell us what that means? So we're looking at what they call a greenhouse gas life cycle analysis. So um, greenhouse gases are these gases that you know they get into the atmosphere and they can trap heat and the planet just like a greenhouse, right? So um, the main greenhouse gas is carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and carbon dioxide's a, it's a very stable molecule. So it accumulates, you know, in the atmosphere and it doesn't go away and it traps heat. So that's why people think it's contributing to uh, global warming. Um, so we're in this life cycle analysis, we're trying to track these gases um, and find ways to reduce emissions for carbon capture and storage. So, so we're looking at uh, all the processes involved in carbon capture and storage. And some of these processes sort of generate emissions on their own. So um, we want to make sure these technologies don't generate more emissions, you know, in the actual carbon capture and storage process than are avoided. Um, so we use this life cycle analysis to look at sort of this cradle to grave perspective of um, how much difference are we making? Um, what's the net carbon storage? Um, so um, we're tracking the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so you can, you know, you can do a greenhouse gas life cycle analysis for all sorts of things like manufacturing, you know, driving your car, all sorts of things. So um, um, that's kind of our focus of our uh, life cycle analysis here. So I have another question for you. CCS is supposed to reduce CO2 emissions. Why would it in some cases actually generate CO2 emissions? So carbon capture and storage requires some industrial processes that are energy intensive. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to construct some of these facilities and operate them. It involves like a lot of big equipment. Yeah. Um, in many cases, that's running, you know, 24-7 for decades on end, right? So um, all these operations can generate greenhouse gas emissions. So, for example, the CO2 capture plant, it uses a, a solvent to absorb the CO2 uh, molecules from an emission stream. And then that CO2 rich uh, solution is heated to temperatures, you know, about 125 degrees Celsius okay. to release the CO2. And then they have to take that CO2 and compress it um, to like 1100 PSI with big compressors. And finally, they have to transport that CO2 to an injection site and inject it in a deep underground into these geologic reservoirs. Um, and these rock formations. So that whole process, it takes a lot of materials, equipment, and energy. And so you can imagine that a lot of those processes might result in some greenhouse gas emissions on their own, right? You mm -hmm. might need to um, run a compressor on um, natural gas, or, you know, you might need electricity that comes from a, you know, a grid that has a lot of fossil fuel in it. Um, and, um, so that's what we're trying to track. Um, it's important 
Um, again, that we kind of understand how much CO2 we are storing underground versus how much generated from the CCS operations. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, we're making a real difference. Um, you know, and then it's pretty simple math. It's just, you know, your net CS storage is your CO2 stored minus the emissions generated. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, you might have a system that, you know, you say we're storing a million tons of CO2 underground per year. Um, we're injecting these deep rock formations, but, you know, in the whole process to capture, compress, transport, and inject CO2 might result in, you know, 200,000 tons of CO2 emissions to the atmosphere. So your net storage is, you know, 800,000. So you're still making a big difference, but, you know, um, you just want to make sure that you're, kind of your system is optimized to get as much CO2 um, underground as, as possible. Talking about the emissions, can you tell us a bit more about the CO2 emissions that we're looking to store, uh, such as what are the sources, how much we're emitting, and, and how do we even measure them? Okay, so, so we're looking at you know, sources, uh, mainly industrial sources here. And uh, so we're doing a lot of research for this Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, um, which has the objective of, um, you know, accelerating CCS in the Midwest to Northeast U.S. So we're, we're helping, you know, a lot of these industries who are trying to go low carbon, reduce their carbon emissions. We're looking at things like power plants, ethanol plants, cement plants, natural gas processing plants, refineries, hydrogen plants, fertilizer plants, chemical plants, steel plants. So there's, you know, here in the Midwest, the United States, um, we got a lot of industries. So we have a lot of different types of sources. We're trying to help them understand how they could capture and store their emissions. So what are the, what do they need to capture the CO2 and where can they, you know, um, inject it in these deep underground Formation. So a lot of the near-term sources are sources that have a pretty pure stream of CO2. So it'll be like ethanol plants. So there's about 108 ethanol plants in the Midwest, you know, grow a lot of corn around here. Um, there's also a lot of natural gas power plants. You know, we have a lot of refineries, um, some fertilizer plants, cement plants, things like that. So that's what we're looking at. We're also trying to look at things like new technologies that would, you know, this carbon dioxide removal um, technologies that would basically pull the CO2 straight out of the air and then sequester it underground. So, um, you know, like direct air capture or, um, you know, bioenergy with CCS, mineralization and things like that. So these, you know, um, here in the Midwest, uh, I think our, our emissions have actually decline since 2005 by about 15 to 20%, but they're still pretty high. So, um, you know, everybody's looking at decarbonizing their, their industry. Um, the way we measure um, CO2 for a greenhouse gas life cycle analysis is it's called one kilogram CO2 equivalent. So CO2 is kind of the, the main greenhouse gas, greenhouse gas that everybody talks about, but there's other greenhouse gases like methane, and sulfur oxides, nitrogen oxides that are actually more potent than CO2. So, so like, you know, methane is about 25 times mm -hmm. um, 
worse as far as global warming potential than CO2. Um, so you kind of, if you have a methane leak in your system, it's worse than a CO2 leak. But um, so we use this one kilogram CO2E as our, as our kind of our base measurement for doing our greenhouse gas emissions um, analysis. Um, so we're, we're trying to track um, all that. And, and so you can directly measure the CO2 flow rates if you have a pipeline coming off, say, a capture system um, with a, uh, say a Coriolis meter, so you can directly measure it, and then you can kind of measure it similarly, you know, as you're injecting it underground. And then a lot of these processes, um, uh, you know, again, they use energy, um, and that might be in the form of electricity, or it might be in the form of natural gas. So, like um, capture plants are usually, um, you know, they they use either electricity or natural gas. Um, in their system so you can pretty much just meter your uh, how much you use right just like you have gas bills electricity bills at home you know they'll have the same sort of um, measurements at their facility and you can use that data and some emission factors to uh, to calculate how much uh, co2 uh, is is being emitted through their operations and, um, and so we can also look at like you know how much construction is required for the plant um you know the embodied emissions how many materials um have to go into like saying putting in a pipeline it takes a lot of steel that steel kind of probably produces co2 in its own all, all those factors kind of go into the life cycle analysis and in the end we kind of roll that all up um to understand, you know, the emissions generated by the whole process mm -hmm. in relation to how much CO2 is stored underground. That, that sounds like a lot of data and information. Uh, is there a, a place where it is accessible or even publicly available? So there's some good resources for this information. A lot of the, these technologies are kind of emerging so there's not quite as much operational data um, as you know other industries has been around for you know hundreds of years. But um, you know the U.S. Department of Energy has kind of a unit process library for uh, life cycle analysis that has a database and some toolkits. Uh, there's also the U.S. EPA; they have emission factors for um, life cycle uh, applications. Um, there's a great website called the uh, cdrprimer.org it's a, a carbon dioxide removal primer um, which kind of summarizes you know these carbon dioxide removal technologies mm -hmm. and then the u.s energy administration also has a lot of good information they put on a lot of workshops on um um, you know, direct air capture, carbon dioxide removal, and life cycle analysis. And then there's uh, obviously a lot of scientific journals out there. And then lastly, there's uh, the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative. And we're doing a lot of research on carbon capture and storage in the Midwest and Northeast United States and how it kind of roll out here in our region. Um, given, you know, all the different sources and all the different geology we have around here. Can you expand on the sources uh, themselves? Like, uh, how 
How often are the emissions tracked and, and where are they tracked? To track the emissions, um, you kind of need to, to estimate uh, a lot of things. You need to estimate the materials necessary for construction, the energy input for the systems, um, you know, look at a capture, compression, transport, injection, um, all the activities associated, associated with the CCS. Um, so um, a lot of these things are, you know, basically monitored on a real-time basis. Um, so once the system is up and running, you know, they're tracking how much CO2 is, you know, is, is routed to the CO2 transport pipeline almost in like in real time, right? And then they basically tabulate that usually on like a daily basis. Um, and then obviously a lot of the initial construction and things like that, you know, those are one-off items. Um, you, you know, the biggest contributors to the emissions tend to be the 24 seven operations, right? So they're running is big capture facility or big compression facility and, you know, these big, big equipment, right. That, that runs, you know, continuously, you know, ideally that equipment would be, uh, you know, uh, energized by, you know, green energy. Right. But we just don't have that, uh, you know, excess green energy in the grid. Um, so you can't really, you still kind of a lot of times have to rely on fossil fuels and that's where some of these greenhouse gas emissions um, come from. So, so, you know, this greenhouse gas life cycle analysis kind of helps you understand your system. What are the biggest contributions to your emissions? And then also where you can kind of optimize things and reduce say your um, greenhouse gas emissions. So maybe you can, you know, you can make your capture plant more efficient or your compression, you know, you can make that more efficient um, and kind of reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. So you had talked earlier about CCS programs achieving uh, net zero. Is it possible for them to achieve uh, net negative emissions? To achieve net negative emissions, you probably need to rely on you know, this carbon dioxide removal technologies, they're the ones that are actually stripping the CO2 out of the air and putting it underground. So they're, so those can be, you know, net negative as much as, you know, they're, they're putting more CO2 underground than they emit. Um, other technologies, you know, like for, for power plants and, you know, cement plants, a lot of these other industries are, um, trying to uh, basically just reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so they're basically, you know, just right now, they might be emitting all their uh, CO2 in the atmosphere, right? So they're trying to, to reduce that. So even if they can reduce their, their emissions by say, um, you know, 70 to 80%, that'd be great, right? Because, yep. you know, at least they're, they're not emitting as much CO2 as, as they are. Um, as they uh as they used to it, it's just you know you, you know the the reality of it is that you can't reduce 100 percent of your emissions you probably have some emissions associated with you know your operations but um mm -hmm. what we've done with this midwest regional carbon initiative is, is to look at the nature of our sources mm -hmm. and what their potential is you know how they can get the highest net storage underground and 
most of our industry, I'm talking about, you know, ethanol plants and um, petroleum plants and fertilizer money plants, things like that. Um, they can get, you know, on the order of 60 to 90 percent net storage. So, oh, wow. um, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's amazing. So if these programs can't capture, you know, 100 percent of their emissions, where do you think there's room for improvement so that maybe more programs can achieve closer to net zero or net negative? Well, I think a lot of these new technologies that integrate uh, carbon capture and compression with their operations, that's how they can maximize their net CO2 storage. Um, so, um, say natural gas power plants, and there's a lot of natural gas power plants in this region of the, the U.S. Um, I think we have... Um, you know, basically 192 natural gas power plants as of here, 2020, mid-2022. So, um, you know, they can they can design and construct these uh, gas power plants with uh, this combined cycle um, operations where it, they can, you know, integrate the CO2 capture and compression better. Um, and so that, that's how you can um, basically you know, the new technology integrates the CCS with their actual operations. So it's not a retrofit. It's kind of designed in some new construction. And that's the one way to uh, maximize your uh, CO2 um, net storage. Another is to kind of reduce fugitive emissions and things like that. And then also you kind of, if you can, you know, just match your sources with your sink. So, you know, you're, your sources near in the Midwest, you know, it's kind of easy because a lot of the um, sources, like natural gas and things, are in sedimentary basins already. So, mm. um, you know, if you don't have to transport that CO2 long distance, you know, that helps you as well for your um, life cycle analysis and your greenhouse gas emissions. Sure. So, if you were um, like a small business, for example, and you were looking to get into this space, can you recommend some good resources or methods for greenhouse gas life cycle analysis? So, so one thing would be, you know, the, this uh, Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative is a resource mm -hmm. um, because it, you know, they're they're mapping out all the CO two storage options and they're trying to communicate a lot of this previous research research to um, industry um you know to to better um so they can better understand what their options are for ccs and the impact on their um you know their business um there's for lca there's uh, again the u.s department of energy national energy technology lab has a whole program um, a toolkit for lcas um and then there's also a uh, uh this thing called open LCA, which is an open source LCA model that you can, you can play around with and understand, um, your emissions. If you're probably for more of the technical people, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there mm -hmm. to help you kind of analyze what your emissions are. And, um, so the way they do that is they, they, a lot of times they use these unit basis emission factors. Um, so they might, um, you know, say for, um, running a natural gas boiler, they have kind of a database of these emission factors. 
and you can kind of scale that to whatever you're trying to do and, and get understanding of your emissions. So we recently did a greenhouse gas life cycle analysis for CO2 enhanced oil recovery. Um, and I wrote an article that's in energy and fuels, um, was published in 2020. So what was interesting about this greenhouse gas life cycle analysis was it was based on, you know, actual records from 22 years of this, uh, CO2 enhanced oil recovery operations. So they literally had their electricity bills, their gas bills. Um, you know, they had a whole monitoring system that monitored the CO2 flows and, you know, how much CO2 was going into these reservoirs and then even how much, you know, and so this system was producing oil. And so when you're doing a CO2 enhanced oil recovery, um, greenhouse gas life cycle analysis, you have to account for that oil that's called the sort of the downstream component. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're producing more oil and then they sell that oil and people burn it. And, you know, that, that contributes emissions to the atmosphere in itself. So, um, so, you know, we did this analysis again, it was based on 22 years of operations and um what we found is that they were actually uh they had net uh negative uh, um, operations and the way that they got that way was that they, they actually sequestered a large volume like two million tons of co2 and then they didn't produce all that much as far as oil in comparison to a lot of other co2 ur operations so um um, so that's kind of an interesting analog that you can, you know, even for CO2 EUR, if you think about like just maximizing the amount of CO2 you put underground, you can, you can get net negative um, as far as, you know, uh, reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, which seems kind of counterintuitive because you always think of, you know, oil production just creates a lot of, um, you know, emissions, but we really, you know, for CCS, we were, we rely on those technologies, a lot of the technology developed by, you know, oil and gas operations, you know, because the CCS relies on the same deep reservoirs for injecting CO2 underground and monitoring it, making sure it stays down there. Great. And we have one, one last question for you is how can a normal person that has all sorts of different stuff going on contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from a life cycle perspective? So for greenhouse gas life cycle analysis, again, we're, we're looking at, you know, what's your impact, what's the cradle to grave impact to the planet on your activities. Um, so a lot of the things, if you just use that perspective, you know, and, and um, think of things in terms of like, you know, how many emissions are, am I generating? You know, maybe I can just, you know, carpool with somebody else and reduce my emissions or, or maybe buy an electric lawnmower or something like that. You know, just these simple things. Um, you know, a lot of electricity pro providers, you know, they give you a, a green energy option that doesn't really cost all that much more. So even doing things like that, you know, collectively, if everybody does their part, you know, it starts to get that momentum. Um, I think with a lot of the, you know, recent changes in climate, a lot of people are realizing that, you know, this is a real challenge for the whole planet that we need to, to kind of address it in a realistic manner. And I think we, you know, you know, there used to be an ozone hole, you know, mm -hmm. 
uh, the southern hemisphere right and you know we, we were able to kind of work together as a planet and uh you know reduce that so mm -hmm. it's not as much of a problem so i think there's some precedent that we can do this and so it's not all doom and gloom um so i think there are things you can do and and again you know i think it's a it's a, it's a challenge but you know if, if everybody does their part you know and a lot of it you know people think it's just all you know punitive or you're gonna have to make a sacrifice but if you think about it a lot of these new technologies have a lot of benefits um so again like i talked about like i got an electric lawnmower mm -hmm. and you know i just press a button and it starts um you know i don't have to go out and buy gas um so you know i you know there's a lot of benefits to a lot of these technologies it's not all making sacrifices and um so i think if you kind of look at it from that perspective it's seen as more of an opportunity um you know to to make the planet and then the benefits of course you know are beyond the greenhouse gas emissions a lot of times the you know general air quality will um, improve and things like that so um so anyway i'm a i'm a kind of an optimist i think we can i think we can do this and you know you know even if we could um if we can reduce our emissions the you know the benefits are would happen pretty quickly too so um so so I think, uh, you know, again, this, this greenhouse gas life cycle analysis methodologies is, is pretty useful. Um, and we're, we're, we're working on it here at the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, and we're hoping to see more projects um, happen here in the next few years. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joel. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. I, I really appreciate um, the breadth of your experience and everything that you shared with us today. This podcast is sponsored by the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, which is a structured five-year program funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. It is co-led by Battelle and the Illinois State Geological Survey. The initiative works to connect science, technology, and research to advance CCUS acceptance and deployment in 20 states across the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, and New England regions of the United States.